0: Hello and welcome to an extra seat at the best table in this or frankly any town. Yes, this is the place where I chat to an utterly brilliant person over top-notch food and they open up like a clam. My guest today is a superb actor and writer who consistently creates characters which are detailed, clever and often hilarious, such as Sister Den Flickster in Getting On or the Government Director of Communications, Terry Coverley, in The Thick of It. She's been in plenty of films, including Notes on a Scandal and The Invisible Woman and she's just won a Best Actress BAFTA for her moving performance performance in the film After Love in which she plays the newly widowed Mary Hussein. It's the brilliant Joanna Scanlon.
1: In order to make that scene work, it meant that I had to put the milk into the tea before I poured the water on from the kettle. Every time I did it, I thought this is an offense against tea making. <laughs>
0: For this episode of Out to Lunch, I've come to London's Covent Garden to a restaurant called Margot. Margot is the name of a sausage dog, which I believe was once belonged to one of the owners, and it, it's got nothing to do with the restaurant itself, which is Italian. It's sort of glossy, shiny Italian. It's very good. I loved it when I reviewed it. I've been back many times. Um, I'm pretty sure that Joanna Scallon loves her Italian food, and I think it's a very good fit. We have a table downstairs. Let's get inside.
1: Lovely Last, to meet you. Very lovely to meet you, too. Isn't it? A an honour. An honour and a joy. Have a seat. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: We have a point of contact, which is we both discussed filth with Miriam Margulies. Ah. Oh. Um,
1: Yes. She's discussed it with you in this context.
0: Well, it it has to be said, she's basically been discussing with me since I was 10 years old. But (laughs) I've known her since I was a kid. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I have some very, very early memories of Filth with Miriam, which Filth with Miriam, that should be a podcast in itself. It really
1: should. Yes, it really should. I'm surprised she hasn't. I'm surprised she hasn't done that, actually. I do
0: know. I mean, there's, there's still time. Should, should we put some context on this from your side as to how you, you came to discuss Filth with Miriam?
1: The first Filth I, I discussed, or rather listened to, from Miriam's side was, many, many years ago, one of my very, very, very early jobs, which was the production of Vanity Fair. And Miriam was playing, I think, my mother-in-law in it. And Miriam would sit, uh, as I'm sure if you know her well, you, you will have experienced this many times, yeah. and recount these wonderfully filthy stories. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the way in which she would...
0: Prepare. There's no filter, is there?
1: It's full of richness, because it's not just, it's not just filth, is no. it? I mean, it's clever filth and interesting filth and intriguing filth.
0: And very human.
1: Very human. I mean... Not all relatable, but it's...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, we've all come across a soldier (laughs) masturbating in a tree.
1: (laughs) But I always love the way she proclaimed herself very, you know, loud and proud as a lesbian and then say, I sucked him off and I sucked him off. (laughs)
0: Amazing, isn't it?
1: It's absolutely brilliant. You go, yeah, okay, I'm I'm working on understanding how that works. But then, many years later, I did uh, a film, uh, The Invisible Woman, in which I played Catherine Dickens. Now, of course, Miriam is the women of Dickens She's done a one-woman
0: show called Dickens Women for many, many years.
1: So Miriam uh, wrote to me after I played this character. So after that, we were exchanging kind of, you know, here and there. And then I wanted to make some videos uh, a couple of years ago during the lockdown process when there was very little else going on, which I called Sex Lives.
0: You'd solicited women to write in with their experiences which became Instagram posts.
1: That's right. (laughs) This this ended up with
0: you uh, sort of recreating one of these between you and Miriam online on Zoom is that right? That's
1: right. Miriam and I played a aunt and niece in in which uh, we had a, a, a very full and frank discussion and Miriam was so up for this I mean the hats off to her in a hundred ways, but really for doing that, because she wanted to just tell it like it is. So we ended up doing these just improvised chats playing two characters. Um, Yours
0: being someone discovering a polyamorous lesbian relationship where two of you are active, one of you watches, uh, I think Sally might have been the name. And it does result in the remarkable line uttered by Miriam, which is, well, I'm lost for words.
1: That's the one, isn't it? <laughs> I'm lost for words. How do you ever get Miriam Margulies to the point of being lost for words?
0: Because she's a great actress and she can play against type. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody wants to catch up on any of this, they can go to Instagram, go to, I think it's sex underscore lives and they can read a lot of brilliant submissions from women describing what they got up to in lockdown.
1: Yeah. It's certainly diverting. It meant a lot to me with Miriam because my uncle was gay. He introduced me to food and good food. That's what I wanted to reference with Miriam, was a deep, close, loving uncle. I think Miriam has that spirit.
0: She does. Now, you've mentioned good food. You have a menu in front of you. We have some salumi. You get to choose first. (laughs) You're the guest.
1: I've had asparagus three times in the last few days, but I think I'd like to have it one more time.
0: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) It is asparagus season, as we speak. Because it's the
1: season, yeah. Yeah. Because it's the season. So, please, may I have some asparagus? And then... Tagliolini al... Astice? Yes. Please, the lobster, pasta, chili, and lemon.
0: And I'll start with the vitello tonnato, the veal with the tuna mayonnaise, and then I will have the monkfish with fregola.
1: Thank you very much. Thank,
0: Thank, you. Thank you. After Love, the film for which you won the BAFTA, is an extraordinary piece of work. Can you describe in thumbnail for anybody who hasn't seen it the basic premise?
1: Yes. A woman who has converted to Islam many years previously to marry and because she has fallen in love with an Islamic boy, finds herself bereaved um, after his sudden death and going through his things finds that he has had another secret life um, over the water in Calais. They live in Dover and she goes to investigate what happened and who he was and what that mystery other woman
0: might be. Certainly so the first 10 or 15 minutes, you barely say anything. You, you barely have any lines whatsoever. And I'm wondering, as you were sitting there reading this script, which I know you had to audition for, it wasn't just offered to you, was it? You, you had to be...
1: Oh, I really did have to go through my paces for that, yeah.
0: And you're looking at it. What, what was your feeling about it as you read it on the page, as an experienced writer yourself?
1: Well, you know they say about making a film that you make three films. You make the script initially, you've got the the film you're making in the shoot and then you've got the film that's made in the edit and there's three different films. Well, the film that was the script at that stage, it had a, a lot of what we ended up with, but there was a... A whole story from before he dies, Ahmed dies.
0: That's not a spoiler, because he dies in the first 90 seconds of the film. He does, And it's an extraordinary piece of cinema, the way that's portrayed.
1: Isn't that... Yeah, just
0: brilliant. Do
1: you know, the only thing I can think of as you say that is, um, in order to make that scene work, everything had to happen in very kind of clean sequence, but in order to do that, it meant that I had to put the milk into the tea before I poured the water on from the kettle... Because, it, because of where the fridge was in the kitchen. And so I couldn't make the cross twice. Right. So I had to put the milk in, and every time I did it, I thought, this is an offence against tea-making. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Detail. How many, how many times did you shoot that sequence?
1: Quite a few, uh, because, of course, the, the actual shot is this very, very slow-moving camera. So to get the camera moving at exactly the right pace... Uh, that was the thing that took time. It always is with filming. You know, they say, oh, how many takes did it take? As if, as if the actor is responsible for fucking it up, really. Mm-hmm. But generally it is to do with camera and to get... The, because it's a film. The choices that are being made about that l- frame and that, through that lens is everything. We are just material for that. Thank Smiles. you. Oh, not what I expected.
0: Uh-huh. Classic Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Have you finished the saloon? Oh, but you know, you
0: could leave them there and they yeah. might get picked mm-hmm. at as the time is goes the by. Yeah,
1: you like it?
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Water. Uh, so what, you were expecting green I spears... I was expecting
1: it to be peeled.
0: Um, they've been peeled. Yeah. They've been, what else is going on there? It looks well, like a few petals.
1: Yes, there's some very pretty petals. There's very m- marigold petals and I don't know what that is. Sweet William, I think, petal. And then... Some Parmesan, which was promised. that We knew about the Parmesan. But you, normally, of course, in, it's rude to eat asparagus with cutlery. You
0: can do what the hell you like. So you
1: eat it. But then with it, when it's been peeled, I'm not sure that's the case, so I'm going to try it with you the cutlery. Do whatever you like. It. You, it. you will
0: not be judged by this side of the table. Let's put it that way. Um, after Love, when you read it, the issues around it being a, a woman, a British woman who's converted to Islam, and therefore it's deep within the uh, Muslim community and the sensitivities involved with that. I know you did a lot of research. Did you hesitate?
1: I did. I did. I do now, even speaking about that. I, feel, I felt uh, I had the safety net and the luxury of being able to base my character around Alim Khan's mother, the director-writer's mother, because he had written it as a sort of in honour of her. I mean, it's certainly not her story, but there's a lot about her as a woman that is in the character of Mary. So I met with her and spent time talking about her history, her own history and her own life and her own values and her own relationship to the faith, sufficiently to feel like I'm talking about one woman here and not just being representative of a... Movement or or a whole faith or a
0: whole community
1: or a whole community and a whole culture And I thought Alim is his father came from Pakistan. His mother came from Walthamstow they met where teenagers hang out in those old tower blocks that have now been knocked down in Walthamstow and um, They met there when they were 15 and 17 and fell in love
0: So there is a great parallel with the story as told in After Love.
1: It's not, and I think this is what makes it a special film and one that worked, uh, if I may say so. But I do think it works as a film. And that is because it's got specificity and authenticity at its core. Um, It's not trying to tell us anything about Islam or what it's like to be a white convert to Islam. As such. There's
0: a very simple line in there where you say, I've worn the veil longer than I haven't. Yeah. And that's pretty much it, actually. Yeah. And then, well, there's one other line. I I did something for my husband no other woman could
1: do. No other woman could do, yeah. And we also had, I also had the support, if you like, of my... Uh, fellow actors who were in the scenes of the funeral. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time with um, Sudabaka, people that I'd worked with before, who were very supportive and said, "You know, this is okay. I'm going to help you with your Namaz prayer. I'm going to help you to try to integrate with this."
0: The other moment, and this is just pure curiosity, how long did you have to lie on your back in the sea for?
1: That was quite short.
0: <laughs> I'm, um, I'm relieved to hear it. <laughs> that
1: was quite short, but it was lovely. I've, I've, I've done loads and loads of sea swimming in my life, weirdly. I actually love swimming uh, in cold water, prefer it to warm water. And I... So that didn't bother me at all. What wasn't quite so fine was that the camp we didn't have the money for any sort of rig, proper rig for the camera, which meant that Alexander was holding on to the camera, and waves kept crashing over him, which meant that he is very heavy and that he was about to drop it directly onto my face. And that nearly happened a couple of times. And I did in that moment, actually looking back on it, I remember thinking, I just have to just take my chances. The waves will do what they would do. And we had a grip who was ginormous and he just held onto him. So Alex was holding the camera, and the grip was holding the camera operator and we just had to roll with it it was a, that was the dramatic moment it wasn't about being cold
0: did you know when you were making it that it was working
1: no I think it I think making um, low budget independence in my own Britain is a really arduous process I think we were on it for four four and a half weeks or something that's
0: no time at all for a 90-minute feature for
1: a 90-minute feature no time to do lots of retakes no time to have lots of conversations Lots of practical things to handle But what I did know as we were going through it was that it was a brilliant script that Alim was Had a vision that was very fresh kind of beginner's mind to the whole Business of storytelling
0: he this was his first feature wasn't it? he'd made shorts before but this was the first feature.
1: Yeah, and, he was, and he's quite uncompromising. He comes in with something that doesn't come out of the box of things that have been made before.
0: Although you talked about, you know, you say that was a short period. When you were making something like The Thick of It, mm. surely episodes of that were short, shot in an even quicker turnaround.
1: One day on The Thick of It, Yeah. I seem to remember we shot 35 pages.
0: Bloody hell!
1: I mean, looking back on that, that seems impossible. I'm going to have to ask... Armando or Adam Tandy, if that was really true, but I remember. But that was very different
0: because we were improvising. How much of it was improvised and how much of it was on the page? When you were playing Terry?
1: It was a a very nice combination of both. So I think we used to do the improvising first and then we would do the script
0: last. seem to remember. And how often did the improvised version make the cut?
1: Loads of times. I remember when Armando first, when we did the very, very first version of it, which was three episodes, that he did struggle in the edit, with two, two editors, but because there was so much material to get through. That's how they make documentary. Sure. They shoot, 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 and then the real programme is made sitting in an edit suite, quietly, but in documentary, for the one week that you might have in fiction to edit, in documentary, you've got five. Do you know that asparagus is virtually raw? It was, it was very different from how English asparagus would be cooked. It was really really super fresh, like, crunchy.
0: Good, my Vitella Tonato was fantastic as well. I've mopped the plate with the bread. When you first came across Peter Capaldi's Malcolm Tucker on set or in rehearsal, what was your take on that?
1: I didn't want Malcolm to lay into me. And I felt I had the way of disarming him. I did. He never, ever did. In the whole series, if you look at it, there's not one moment when he ever confronts
0: Terry. Well, there's one where you confront him. Yes, exactly. And and he eventually comes around and sort of apologises. It's extraordinary. Mm. Um, When I was watching it back, Mm. I was thinking, hang on, is Malcolm Tucker taking the piss here when he says, you're right, I've I've stepped over the line? No, he's not. No, he's not.
1: He's seen sense because Terry's made him see sense. Where was she in... Bloody party
0: gate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, she was going around with a black bin bag, cleaning out the bottles, wasn't she?
1: No, I think she was putting the orders in, actually, <laughs> for the discounts that she could get from her old employer.
0: <laughs> did you feel, when you were making the thick of it, that you were part of the political conversation?
1: As I remember it, we did that first series, first three, then I think we did the next three, and at that point we were invited to some do in Westminster Hall or somewhere like that, and a lot of, and a few politicians came. And they started to say to us, oh, you know, everything is just, I mean, you, you've written our lives, how did you know, kind of thing. And that was the first time we looked at each other and went, really? This isn't exaggerated. It's quite they disturbing, are isn't it? Very disturbing. Now, Armando may have known that, and Jesse might have known that, because they'd been closer into that system. But I was really surprised because I did think we were exaggerating and I thought it was ludicrous and I mean I obviously all those stories at the time about the enforcer etc etc were going around but I didn't realize it was that the chaos underneath that was accurate.
0: What do you make of where we are right now in 2022. We are talking the day after the release of Sue Gray's report.
1: I can't believe... Aside from whether Boris Johnson should resign as Prime Minister, aside from those questions, that to allow what seemed to me to be useful, probably arrogance, to that extent, when the rest of the nation were living in fear of their own lives and the loss of those close to them, I suddenly hit me this morning. I just thought, that is
0: horrendous. It's also reasonable to suggest that Ianucci and Armstrong wouldn't have written it because it would be too broad and too arch.
1: They might have done, you know. Though. Really? I mean, I actually think they are... I, I don't think the thick of it has been out-thick of it, out-thick of it it um by these events because, actually, I think Armando is very... Um, he's very clear, seer-like qualities around political activity and i think he knows how dark it gets i mean we perhaps might have not, he might have not chosen to put it into a show because it, it is very dark it's genuinely a fall of the roman empire kind of behavior i think the loss of any kind of empathy or compassion or responsibility i feel is by our political class is deeply upsetting
0: You just won the BAFTA for Best Actress for After Love and in that speech you did reference a GP Mm. who had set you on a a course.
1: He was a consultant physician at a hospital.
0: Oh!
1: He was a diagnostician and I went to him because I had a breakdown, whatever. Sajid Javid has just come out recently and talked about a proper diagnosis for ME, chronic fatigue syndrome and that was what at the time I was diagnosed with. How long did it go on for? It went on Properly, properly, as in, I couldn't do a thing. Couldn't lift, you know, pull the skin off a rice pudding, as my uh, grandfather would say, for a year.
0: Does he stage an intervention? What does he say to you that's so important?
1: Sat me down, asked me two questions, I think. One was, what do you dream about? And then said, was there ever anything else you wanted to do in your life? And I said, well, yes, I had, I had planned and hoped to be an actor. And he sa- and he just paused for a moment and very simply said, I think if you don't go back to acting, you'll be ill for the rest of your life.
0: It's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? Because it strikes me as being quite off the medical patch.
1: Yeah. Medicine is a very sh- sharp and precise tool, isn't it? And it's also an art. It's a science and an art. And any medics that I've ever talked to have always said the big picture is very, very important, but the, the way that medicine has gone is closer and closer into uh, specialisms. And you need... We well, do need those specialisms, my goodness, where would heart surgery be without them? But we also need that standing back and looking at the big picture, the examination.
0: It's one thing, by this point, you would have been in your... Th- just in your 30s, if my timing's right? I was
1: 30, I was 30.
0: Yeah. How did you do it? It's one thing to say, I'm going to go back and be an actor.
1: Oh, golly, I had to strategize, you know. And in the meantime, I took a job at the Arts Council uh, and, if, and then I sort of started writing. I hooked up with Joe Unwin, who now famously uh, uh, is a literary agent, and we knocked on lots of doors and said, please, can we have a commission to write this, this and this and this and this? And we wrote, I think, many scripts, maybe 10 or perhaps more, None of which got commissioned. But it was 17 years from Joe and I first starting on our, you know, script to Vicky, Joe Brandon, myself getting commissioned for getting on. It was 17 years of writing <laughs> scripts that Well, that's, that's quite the read. apprenticeship,
0: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but in that time, you, you, you start getting roles being a jobbing actor and doing very well. You've said that you tended to get... Cast beyond your own age.
1: I think I was sort of born 45 or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I always had a quality of being much more mature than I actually am. <laughs> and anybody who knows me really well will tell you I'm extremely immature. Are you? But I can put on a front. No, well, you're doing, doing brilliantly right here.
0: Look at you. You know, it's, it, we're a proper restaurant, all the manners. Yeah. Was there a point when, a specific point where you thought, right, I'm, I'm here now?
1: It is called a precarious profession, and you don't know, I was only this morning thinking, what happens if, and I won't say that, I, I went through a, a, a huge, complicated sequence of events, which led to me being unable to get a job. <laughs>
0: uh, well, oh, uh, is there a part of you that's a catastrophist then?
1: Yes, I'm afraid there is, yeah. Oh. I've definitely got a, a, a sense of catastrophe around financial security and getting work.
0: But, but It's actually one of the, Problems, isn't it, of having what I think is euphemistically called a forward-facing job. So that if people see you on a screen playing Terry in the thick of it, for example, on a very regular basis, there's an immediate assumption you're famous, you're therefore wealthy.
1: There's a game we, we're playing right now even, which is that I am somewhere somehow special and different and that I don't have the concerns of, you know, every day life, because I guess this started with that whole publicity machine in Hollywood, didn't it? You you need to have an audience be able to kind of look to the silver screen for its sense of otherness and magic.
0: You're a commodity. Once you're cast in a role, because productions are expensive, they need to recoup, whether it be by getting an audience big enough on TV so they can sell elsewhere or, or whatever, you become a commodity, and to make you a commodity, you have to become a special thing
1: a special and different thing, Yeah, otherness. I like ordinariness, I value ordinariness. I think it's much more interesting to not have a peripatetic job like mine, so that in fact, and this was one of the joys of lockdown, that you could go every Tuesday night to your knitting club. I think that's a great thing, I, but I am put in this other category. And so
0: a lot of those prosaic and normal... John, are you basically saying you'd really like a proper job? No. <laughs> That's,
1: at the end of the day... <laughs> what I want is my cake and eat it. Is that it? I mean, I love my job. Absolutely love it. I mean, yesterday we had a... There was a very cold wind yesterday, with very flimsy clothes on, and... I just was having such a good time with my fellow actors. What were you shooting? Playing the scenes. We were doing the Larkins. Right. We were okay. out with, with... We had a bus that was going wrong, a Rolls Royce that the battery failed on, and we were creating this imaginary world in which I was loving my daughter and wishing her well.
0: Um, it's very generous and it's warm. Very generous. And surprisingly sexy in places. Rude. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's quite rude. But H.E. Bates's books, which I would urge anybody who's remotely interested to read, because they are so wonderful, at the time was really modern. I mean, they talk a lot about Ma being in her see-through nylon 90s with her voluptuous figure and how Pop kind of lusts after that. And they talk about how she wants a, you know, a, a spin dryer and she likes plastic jewellery and all the things that would have felt very common in its day. And I think he was writing with this spirit of, massive spirit of generosity. For modernity as well as everything else, and it's ironic that it's become a nostalgia machine now.
0: As you mentioned, see-through uh, nineties. You've talked about the the remarkable number of times you've been asked to get your kit off for various roles. Okay. The Invisible Woman. There's a sign. Obviously, in After Love, you've also said really interestingly that it's you know this is about being a part of a, your body is part of character. Yeah. The way we react to people who don't have the body perfect, it's kind of strange in itself. It becomes a shorthand for bravery, almost.
1: Mm. I suppose there's an inference from that that if I had a body like yours, I wouldn't get it. Well, <laughs> You know, I mean, there's a, there's a condemnatory, really, isn't it? The, the bra- within the bravery is, is... You're absolutely right. ..is, is, is, is an insult, veiled, gently veiled, or ungently. If you put anything on a body, it's going to tell a story of some kind. It tells you what time of the centuries you're in or which gender you might relate to or which gender you wish to not relate to. You know, there's all sorts of things that come with clothing. So if you take the clothing away... You can use the form, the human form to do other things, and it's a tool. And I think that is my bottom line really about taking clothes off. Yes, it enters a cultural conversation every single time, and that is partly about whether your body is acceptable or whether it's unacceptable, deemed by some you know, jury somewhere else. But I think at, at root, as an actor, I have to use everything I've got um, And that's voice, that's thinking, that's, you know, your motor system so that you don't bump into the furniture. You know, there's loads and loads of things. And one of those is my naked form, if if and when it's usefully deployed. In terms of myself as a human being, I don't want people to look at me and think, oh, she's just a fat old cow. I don't really want that. But I'm prepared to do it (laughs) in certain situations. I do, at some level, probably want to say fuck you to anybody who judges other people on their looks.
0: As we're speaking, a new series has started going out on S4C, Igola. Yeah. Are you always speaking Welsh or are you speaking English? I've got to say, I haven't seen it, so I'm just aware that you are speaking Welsh.
1: Yes, I am all speaking Welsh. So this is a, a a form of television production that's called in Wales, Kevin or Gevin, which means back to back so there's there's a script which started off in this case in English, and then it's translated into Welsh, and you do two versions of it as you're filming, so you do the Welsh version and the English version on every setup so every angle you will do both versions in English and Welsh. so the Welsh one is the one that's come out currently, and that is uh, S4C which obviously is going out in Wales and then obviously on you know you can get it on all your Freeview and Sky and everything else and it is also on BBC iPlayer because BBC has a relationship with S4C (coughs) and you might remember the show Keeping Faith that was a bit of a phenomenon because they had something 16 million views of it unexpectedly and it had only gone on iPlayer and then later in the year it'll go out on Channel 4 as well so that'll be the English version.
0: Uh, it's, uh, well to describe it as a murder mystery seems a little thin because it's about the reinvestigation of traumatic deaths. You, you do the Welsh language version, you're not a, natu- a native Welsh speaker, are you?
1: I'm learning Welsh. I, I grew up in Wales, yes. I mo- my parents moved to Wales when I was three. I was educated there and I lived there until I went to university. And I've, all, all my family is still there, my parents are still there. Um, so I'm still very connected to Wales and that, that life, that culture. And then I've worked a lot in Wales in English. And then I think somehow the two things came together and they said, do you want to have a go?
0: Was taking that job part of full circle returning to where you grew up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope it's not full circle as in the end. Goodness me. Um,
0: <laughs> you are such a catastrophe. <laughs> You'll never work again.
1: <laughs> but in the spiral, let's say, I'm okay. um, coming back into that Welsh prevail because that's what I grew up inside. And I feel that's the closest to who I am, really.
0: And catastrophism aside, Joanna Scanlon, <laughs> how do you think it's all going for you career wise? Well, you
1: know, I would hesitate to say well, but it it does seem to be going well. You know, I get these kind of wonderful little um, jollies along the way, like having the time to be with you, Jane. You know, it's great for me to have this, to be invited for lunch is an absolute joy and a privilege.
0: Well, it's all mine. So I'm gonna say, we can have a look at the dessert menu, but for now I'm gonna say, Joanna Scanlon, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you. It's been lovely.
1: It's it's um, I'm aware there's no such thing as a free lunch, but as,
0: as, well, as, as far, pretty free
1: as far as this goes, <laughs> it is as free as it could possibly ever be and absolutely lovely to be with you.
0: I'll just get you the bill. <laughs> lovely to have lunch at Margot on Great Queen Street in London with the fabulous Joanna Scanlon, uh, Margot's M-A-R-G-O-T do look them up online and thank you so much to all the staff there you can rent or buy After Love on Apple TV and Amazon Prime or stream on your BFI subscription if you have one and if you love the show do please follow us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts and please feel free to rifle through our archives to find vintage chats with the likes of the aforementioned Miriam Marglis and Joe Brand and the marvellous Jesse Buckley and Jamie among many others. And then gift them to friends and family. Just send them a link. They'll be ever so grateful. Also, do comment. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It does help us to make more. Out to lunches is a something else in Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording and mix engineer was Paul Brogdon. The assistant producers are Ron Dass and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Rehm and the executive producer is Darby Torres. Next time, it's Line of Duty actor, yes, DS Ted Hastings himself. It's Adrian Dunbar. And we kept talking it up and of course there were people, other people who started moving in like Dave Stewart, Danny Lennox and um, people like Lorraine would go, what is it about Crouch crouching that you're all up there, you know? <laughs>